Dog Training Digital presents the eCollars Podcast with Robin McFarlane and Steve Snell. All right, we're going to talk today about stimulation levels. I think this is something that people are initially uncomfortable with when they're starting with a remote training collar. Let's talk a little bit about how you go about finding the initial level for a dog. Let's talk about working levels. Let's just talk a little bit about what happens when you raise that dial, you lower that dial, and how you go about making those decisions with each individual dog. Okay. Well, when when we're first, very first starting with a dog, obviously I have to keep my mindset that this dog has never felt this before. It's a brand new sensation. So it's very important, I think, for people to understand to go into this training that your first lesson is about paying attention to the dog's body cues so that when they're indicating that they have felt something. If a person is a novice to using a remote collar, I think one of the things they're looking for are, or one of the things they may be even expecting is for the dog to jump or to startle or to yelp or things like that because they have this preconceived notion of using the collar as that strong aversive to simply stop a dog from doing something. And that's not what our goal is. Our goal is to use, as we've talked about pressure in the past, our goal is to use a system of pressure on, pressure off so that we can communicate to the dog what to do. So that means when we're finding a level, I always start at the lowest possible setting on a collar and I'm gonna gradually go up until the dog indicates to me that he's noticing it. A, I've got the dog on a long line, a check cord, something like that. B, I'm allowing the dog to basically be a dog for a moment. That means I want him out on the grass. I want him sniffing. I want him kind of freely moving on the end of that check cord. So what I'm doing is I'm tapping the button and I usually tap any particular level probably up to five times if I'm working on a momentary setting because that duration of stim is so quick and over and done. I'm going to tap it a few times before I decide, okay, he didn't feel that. So therefore I'm going to go up a little bit. What am I looking for as far as him indicating he's feeling something? I'm looking for a change of behavior. So for a dog that's sniffing the grass, he's going to probably pull his head up from the grass. He's going to stop sniffing momentarily. If it's warm outside and the dog is panting, he maybe will close his mouth momentarily and he'll stop panting because his brain has just been interrupted with a new sensation. He noticed something. I think the typical cues that people have been told to look for, those are relevant as well. You might get that dog that'll tilt his head, his ear will twitch a little bit. Those are all signals that the dog is noticing sensation. That's our starting point. That's where we're going to jump off from, okay, I'm at a level he feels and we're going to jump off into now I'm going to start teaching the dog what do I want him to do about it. So let me back up and make sure that I understand exactly Let's clarify what we're doing here. So, so we have a dog, you have the collar on him. It's the first time he's had the collar on him. We're going to take him out in an area that is low distraction. Low distraction in the sense of, yes, I'm not going to be at the dog park. I'm not going to have the kids throwing the ball next to my border collie that likes to chase the ball. Right. Right. right? But enough distraction so that they're at least I want the dog to be distracted by his nose. I want him to be able to not just stand there staring at me. I want him to be doing something so he's not just immediately paying attention to me. You want his attention off of you. We're not trying to teach anything here. We want him just to be, are you moving while you're doing this? I I do move a little bit. I'm at wanting to understand he's at liberty to move. So I try to eliminate, have intention on that line right away. I follow him around to see 
can I find a level that causes him to change his behavior ever so slightly that indicates to me, hey, that was weird. What was that? I felt something. Okay. And, and to say we're looking for a startled reaction, I think would be, we're not looking for that at all. We're just looking for a, what was that? I mean, is that the, is that what we're talking about here? We're strictly looking for him to just show some sort of level of, okay, what would the, I just experienced something and I don't know what it was. Yes. And if he is startling, because sometimes that'll happen, sometimes people will ramp up their level too quickly. They maybe okay. missed early indicators. If he is startling, we need to drop back down. A startle response is not the desirable indicator. That's too much. Okay. Now, do you see many dogs that on an extremely low level would have what you would call a startled reaction? I mean, is that common? So, well, the thing is low is relative to the dog. So have I seen dogs that are working on a clickable dial collar that startle at the number one? I've seen it. Yeah, sure. I've seen it. And that's when I just have to switch equipment sure. because every collar manufacturer is a little bit different. They're not everybody's low, lowest level. They're not equal across the board. So I may have to switch manufacturers and find a different collar if that's the case. It's rare, but it happens. Okay. So I've even occasionally seen dogs that would have what I would call a stronger reaction initially where they're startled by something that, that once they've felt it a couple of times, it isn't going to startle them anymore. It's rare that we find somebody that on the collars that we promote as training collars, it's rare that we find somebody that a dog's going to overreact at a low level. But uh, I guess my stance is that occasionally that initial reaction will change and that you may get a stronger reaction the first time a dog feels something compared to after he's felt it a couple of times. That's true because it is a novel experience. I've seen dogs do the same thing when I do clicker training and they'll sure. startle at the sound of the click. It's just something sure. new. And more often than not, you can desensitize and get through that. So the vast majority of times, yes. But once in a while, I have had a really sensitive dog and will either switch the type of collar or we'll put a diffuser on the box okay. so that I get even lower sensation. Okay. So when you said, when you say you're talking about changing the contact points. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I'll use okay. a contact pad in, and, okay. and that seems to change the sensation. And then I can use the lowest level seems to not cause that overreaction anymore. But let's go back. That's a pretty rare, that's a pretty rare dog. Yeah. It is Jordan super rare out there. Yep. It's super rare. And I'll tell you what, it's not, when I say overreaction, I think it's important that I clarify. This is not a dog that's yelping or crying out or that kind of thing. That is not the overreaction that I see on that low level. It's the dog that flattens because he's like, ooh, that's just so weird. If he really flattens, then I wanna be able to go lower than that to try to work him through it. That's what I'm talking about. When you talk about raising levels, let's use dog, let's use Dogtra, for example. I mean, are you going on a Dogtra collar? Are you going up on a 127 level collar? Are you going up in that small of an increment? I mean, are you going one, two, three? It uh, has that many. We're dealing with collars that, for me, the training collars that are out there, you're going to have anything from, I'm going to say on the low end, it's going to be about 10 stimulation levels up to 127. That's the range that we're dealing with different manufacturers. So on something like a Garmin Sport Pro, you're going to have 10 levels in there. So it's very easy to do that. But on a dog trip with 127, when we say going up one level at a time, that's a lot. So, so give me your stance on how you handle that. 
So no, I typically am not going one level at a time. A, I'm not looking at the I'm not looking at the transmitter, so I yeah. can't even probably tell you because I'm watching the dog the whole time. Just getting comfortable with the equipment. I have found that generally when I make an adjustment, I'm probably going three to five points at any given time. I'd say three on average. So if I started at one, I'm probably going to four. Now I'm going to seven. Now I'm going to ten. It's probably a three point change. Um, and I do the same thing. I also work on a Garmin collar a fair amount of time, a pro unit. I'll go one low, two low, two, or I'm sorry, I go one low, one medium, two low, two medium, three low, three medium before I go to the highs. I found yeah. more jump on the highs with the dogs I work sure. with. So I tend to go through the lows and the mediums and cycle up my dial that way before I use a high. Okay. And this is all in the very, very beginning stage. Once they get the hang of it and they understand stim, it's not you can use those things and the dog bounces back. It's just a lot easier to work with them. To clarify there, we're talking about finding an initial level. Okay. Yes. So we're looking for the lowest level that we get a response. And on most dogs, that is going to be on the pretty low end. Yes. All right. So what do you do now that you have found that level? What is that? How does that translate into actually doing the work? So at that point, I am going to start teaching whatever behavior and my behavior is usually movement toward the handler. So again, we find the level. The first behavior I'm going to teach for my pet dogs is movement toward the handler. So that's either going to be following me on a leash or coming to me. I'm going to start working a recall. Now, as far as what's going to happen with those levels, it's going to change depending on does the environment change. If suddenly something happens in the environment, and let's say in theory, I'm using a dog for collar, and let's say I'm working on about a 15. And so 15 is working. He's working on the recall. We're doing great. Now my husband comes out the door with one of our dogs and starts playing with him. Now the situation has changed. The dog's attention, adrenaline is going to change because their attention has shifted. Now I'm going to have to adjust to make up for that. I'm probably going to have to go up. I may even have to adjust the distance I am from that dog. But something has to change immediately. And usually it's going to be the stimulation level in order to regain the same behavior and the same level of attention that I had prior to the environment changing. You've got to get a feel for where this dog starts, and then you've got to get a feel for how he's going to react in different situations. Not only is that a learning process, but it's an ongoing process. And this is something too that I think people struggle with is that they want to know, okay, well, what level am I supposed to set it at? And is that the level I use all the time? And that's just not how it works. I guess it's one of those things where we're talking about it's situational. And well, so you've got to figure out. And, and I think to give a person that's new to this some confidence in how do they proceed forward is try to take some control of your environment. So, for instance, if I had a dog here, green dog that I'm going to train, I'm going to go out in my backyard and I'm going to work out there for probably the first two, maybe three sessions that I work with him doing just the things I was talking about. I don't have to re-find a level. So I find the level the first session, right? I'm in the backyard. He's working on a 15. Now I go out a couple hours later. I'm going to probably start around 10 or 12 on that collar because I know 15 is where we left off. That's probably about in that range. Again, I don't need to go back to zero and re-find a level. So I've already kind of established somewhere in the vicinity of 15 is what he feels in that environment. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to practice that for a couple sessions. But I don't want to get complacent and go, okay, great. He responds at 15 all the time. 
this is the this is my dog's working level. Now I'm going to change the situation and maybe for session three, I'm going to go to the front yard where there might be neighbors out up across the block and now things are going to change. I'm going to get back. I'm going to start again in that similar range, 12, 15, whatever. But I might find that is no longer influencing the dog and I'm adjusting. And by the time I've dialed them in, we might be on 22 for that particular session, right? So now I'm just kind of chalking that up mentally that, okay, this dog tends to make that maybe 8 to 12 point leap with moderate distractions. Again, am I going to say, well, that's across the board. That's the way he works. No, I've only got a day and a half of training in with this dog. This is a process that I'm going to be paying attention to over the course of weeks as I systematically take this dog to new locations and systematically expose him to more and more distraction and up my expectation of how I want him to perform in all these different environments. So I think something else that we should probably talk about is now you've moved from the backyard to the front yard and there is a certain level of distraction and increase your stimulation level. Once you have that dog's attention, sometimes that level is going to dial back almost immediately. It's a moving target depending on what kind of reaction that you're getting from the dog. And so I think that's something that people need to understand is that with each individual dog, it changes depending on the situation and depending on how the dogs respond. It absolutely changes you. Using stimulation, it has to be fluid. You have to get comfortable with the idea of going up and down on that dial according to the distraction in the environment. Yes, a lot of times the level is going to come down. You get working in a session and you can bring your level down. But here's something I want people to understand. Don't automatically bring it down because the dog is responding to you. Bring it down if the dog is overreacting to that same 15 that was working. So if you're working on 15, he's doing great. You got his attention. And now he starts to flinch a little bit. And he's like, whoa, man, I'm listening. Then you would bring it down because the dog indicated the 15 now is a little too much. But if he's working great at 15, he's responding. Everything is clicking. He's looking sharp. Don't automatically bring it down thinking, well, I don't need it to be at that level because here's what I've seen happen. People don't realize, yeah, the dog is tuned into you. He's paying attention to that level. You turn it down to a five going, I don't need it anymore because he's listening. Now you're no longer conditioning the dog how to understand and respond to stimulation. The dog's paying attention to you because of leash pressure. Dog's paying attention to you because of his voice, but he may not be feeling the collar at all. And your goal in the early weeks is to get him well collar condition. That's why one of the tests that I do so often, Steve, is I stop talking to the dog and I'll let him get distracted and tap the button and see, I go back to kind of that thought process, is my level still influencing a change of behavior? Do you see what I'm saying? People can get complacent yes. thinking stim is making an impact when in fact the dog isn't even feeling it. Okay. The dog's just okay. listening. So you're, so you're getting the responses that you want, yet you're still stimming, but you're saying that you've lowered the level to the point that the dog no longer feels the stimulation. Yes. And I've seen people do that and they're like, well, he doesn't need it. And I go, well, okay, so do this for me. Go in a fenced area, drop the leash. Don't say a word and tap the button. Well, he's not responding at all. I go, exactly. You have not collar conditioned him to respond to stimulation. He's responding to your voice. He's responding to leash pressure. But if push comes to shove and this dog takes off after something, you see how you have not yet sure. conditioned him to respond to stim. 
that's where we can get ourselves into trouble if we're so concerned about turning it down right away. You turn it down if you need to because you've overwhelmed the dog. You don't just automatically turn it down. You want to always in a level that's influencing. I think that's a really great thing for folks to understand that some people are in a rush to get away from the stimulation in that that they they want to correct the dog the least amount of times. And if they're getting the reactions that they want, then they're going to back down on using the collar. The problem with that is that, that the goal here is to get these dogs into higher distraction situations or to get them where they have a lot more freedom. The downside of not having them conditioned to the collar is that you don't have that backup. You don't have that ability to get them to respond when there is a high drive situation. That's what you're saying here is that you want to actually make sure that the dog's feeling the stimulation and knows how to respond to it. I do. I do. And it's because that's where that thinking, and this is where the lingo and the words we use get confusing at times, because the way I talk about it may be different than the way another person thinks about it. I don't think about it as correcting the dog because I am not pushing the button as a response because the dog didn't do. That is farther down the road, right? So using a correction because the dog gave me a refusal, that is farther down my sequence. That's farther down the road. I'm talking about this early training where I'm pushing the button every time I'm trying to cue the behavior to come to me, to sit, to go to the place. I'm using the button with every behavior initially to give the dog a very strong, well-associated response of what to do to make the weird sensation go away. And it's not overwhelming. It's not causing a startle. It's In fact, it's typically so subtle, most people wouldn't even know that I was pushing the button. That's why I'm saying if the dog's response is subtle, I'm not going to turn it down to the point where my use of stim is suddenly non-existent to the dog because now I'm not training them how to respond to it. I'm simply training them how to respond to the leash pressure or the lure or what other pieces of the puzzle I'm putting in there to help him while I'm going through this training process. So talking about dropping the verbal cues, you use verbal cues immediately. Am I correct in that? I use verbal cues quickly. I use them quickly. When I'm first establishing a level, I don't use any verbal cues because my goal is to make sure that the dog is responding to tactile sensation. If I have, if I use my voice, if I put pressure on the leash, if I use a dog, a training tool that the dog already understands, if I use a prong collar, a slip, and I give that a pop in conjunction with trying to find e-collar stim, then I'm not certain which one the dog's responding to. So that's why I I take all of those things out of the equation when I'm first figuring out the level. Once I know, then I will bring my voice in as a motivator, that kind of thing to to do something. Nevertheless, as far as using a word as an actual command or a cue, I usually build some fluency first, meaning I get the dog doing it a high percentage of the time before I name the behavior. So I don't want to repeat the word come when the dog is pulling me the other direction. I want to name the behavior as it's happening. But because I'm using the feedback of the collar, it happens pretty quick. So usually within the first session, I am using these verbal cues just because it happens that fast. So we've established how to get an initial level. And then we've talked a little bit about um, the way the levels change. I think something that, that folks that are new to this experience don't always see is that the question I get is, okay, what level do I train my dog on? Well, I can't answer that question for you because it's an individual experience for the dog. 
So how do you deal with that when somebody talks to you about, they want to know what levels are going to be before they've ever put a collar on a dog? It's like, I'll use analogies because some of these things are difficult concepts to explain, but I will say to you, go fill the sink with hot water. Well, who's going to interpret that? Your interpretation of hot, or if I said warm water, who's going to interpret that? And I share the this analogy. So in, in my family, there's me, there's my daughter, there's my mother. So three generations of women, same family, same DNA, basically. If I fill the sink with warm water or hot water, because we're going to do the dishes and I'm doing them. And now I invite my daughter to come over and do the dishes. She's going to put her hands in there, go, holy smokes, mom, what are you doing? She's going to add cold water to it because she's like, you're, this is terrible. I can't tolerate this. So she's going to add cold water to create her interpretation of hot water, right? And now she's washing the dishes. If instead of inviting my daughter over, we have my mom come over. I said, mom, will you finish up the dishes? She's going to put her hands in the water and she's going to scold me. She's like, Robin, I taught you better than this. And she's going to boil the dang tea kettle. <laughs> so your skin's almost coming off and that's hot water to her. And now she's going to wash the dishes. So it's the same thing. I can't tell somebody what's going to be the level that is right for the dog. I want it to be the right level for them. And the right level is what motivates a change of behavior without overwhelming them. Because if they're overwhelmed, they can't learn. And if it's not enough to motivate a change of behavior, they simply ignore it. So it has to be that just right. I've always called it the just right level. Sure. It has to be the just right level. Just right changes depending on the levels of distraction surrounding the dog. As you train the dog over time, over repetition, over weeks, over months, it settles in because now your dog has learned how to partner with you and listen. And you're not going to be all over the dial like that. But in the beginning, you sure as heck are. Okay. Well, I think the other part of that too is that, that it is different for every dog. And that's something I think that people struggle with because they seem to think that there's this consistency across the board and that all dogs should respond to a three the exact mm -hmm. same way. And that's just not the reality of it. Not only is it going to be different in different situations, but it's going to be different for different dogs. And it's it, you don't see breed, you don't see breed similarities, you don't yep. see gender similarities, you don't see size similarities. People see me put collars on little dogs, right. seven, eight, ten pound dogs, and there has a whole range. I have dogs working very low. I have some of those little dogs that you'd really be surprised if you took a sure. little level look at the dial. It just depends on the dog. I think people also try to base it off of personality. Mm -hmm. where they go, this dog is really tough. He's going to take a lot. And I had a dog of my dad's that I had never worked before. And I can't remember now what situation was, but I ended up working the dog. And the first time I put a collar on him, I couldn't get a reaction. And I kept raising the level and raising the level and raising the level. And I finally got a reaction from him with this really, I was uncomfortable at how high this level was. And I took the collar off of him because I was like, we got a broken collar. And so I checked it on myself, which is how I how I check a collar. I'm going to feel the stimulation myself. It was fine. Really? Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. And this dog was like the most low key. I would refer to him as a deadhead if he was a horse. He just didn't have, he didn't have a lot of go. He was just laid back. My dad loved him because he was easy. He was get along, go along kind of dog. Stimulation just did not bother him. And so you cannot base it on the personality of the dog. Where you know, if you think this dog is tough, just because he's tough, it's a response to stimulation and it is different for every individual. So it's not just, it's not just situational as far as distraction level. There's also some factors that go in there too, that your individual dog is going to respond 
in a way based off of his physical makeup. Uh, very true. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for adding that because that's super, super important for people to understand. We do advocate that people feel the callers. We want them to A, understand what stimulation feels like. Also, we want them to test their collars periodically because it's just important to know it's an electronic piece of equipment. You want to know that it's functioning correctly. And I don't know if you've seen this, Steve, but I certainly have where some people decide, okay, I felt it. And this particular level is what I'm comfortable using. And therefore, that's what I'm going to apply to the dog. That's not really a fair comparison either. So, and I don't know if you've seen that on your end and what your thoughts are. Um, I, I think that it, it's always interesting if you get, and we do this from time to time, where we'll have a group of people, if we're doing a seminar, if we're in a class, and we'll say, okay, who has not felt simulation? And you'll have, you'll have some people that are just uncomfortable with the idea behind it, but I'm a big fan of, I, I think everybody should feel it. But it's always interesting to me in the same way that every dog is different, every person is different. And there, there are two sides to this. Um, placement of the collar on yourself plays a role as far as if you're using your fingertips to feel the stimulation. Most people are going to feel lower levels with their fingertips because of the nerve endings compared to if you put it on your leg or if you put it on the back of your hand or your wrist. And I think that's something that people should probably experience also because you can you can change how the stimulation feels depending on how you position the collar. And I don't think that's quite as true for dogs. I think that as far as placement on the neck, it has more to do with making sure that you're actually getting skin contact. But... You know, everybody responds to stimulation differently and you will have some people that, you know, that they can feel it at an incre incredibly low level and they're like, okay, that's enough. That's enough. I'm good. Whereas where you can have some people that can take an enormous amount of stimulation and I'll generally, I don't care for it, but I, I, as a general rule, when I'm testing out a new collar, the first thing we do is we start at one and we work our way up to the top and then I'm. I'm kind of a medium stimulation kind of guy. I don't, I can take a decent amount, but I, you don't have to use the top levels with me. I'm going to respond before that, but, uh, but I'll walk through it and feel it. And so I, I, it's just something that people don't understand. They seem to think there's a consistency across the board as far as how people react and how dogs react. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely not the case. And I have, as far as locations on the body, I do think there's some differences because once in a, most of the time I'm training with a collar in this front sides or front sure. of the neck, but uh, there's times where I'll flip a collar around for the back of the neck because point of pressure can be influence certain behaviors. I have yeah. found that if, of course, gravity wants to pull it, so it doesn't stay there very well, but I have found that they, most dogs tend to be a little bit more sensitive on the back. Really? That could be, yeah, then that can be used to your advantage sometimes. I know in your world, using point of pressure on the belly to create a right. stand, I'm going to guess that your levels from here to the belly probably are different on the dog. With or most, is that not Most the case? dogs. Yeah. Now with most dogs, if you're using a, we call that a flank collar where we teach the dog a point of contact to stop at the back. And with most dogs, it is, it, it does not take a very high level when you do that. And so it, once again, it varies with the situation and you've got to watch the dog and pay attention to the dog. I think this is something, and even talking about stimulation levels, this is something that we probably should key in and that's practice. And this is something that, that I've seen you talk about before where you need to be comfortable with your transmitter at a level that you can raise and lower stimulation without having to look at the transmitter. 
And that's something that, that takes a little bit of practice so that you can watch the dog. It does. And I have had people, because people tune into watching the numbers and the numbers is not where they, the numbers are for you. It gives you a reference point. It's good to know after your training session to kind of look at it and go, oh, okay, that's where I was working. But ideally you're watching the dog. So how do you teach yourself to do that? And I have told people, look, I want you to take this collar. You can strap it on your arm. You can strap it on your thigh, something like that. Sit down, watch television show, pick out a common word and or of, or maybe one of the characters' names or whatever, and try to pair your timing that you tap the button as you hear the word. So you can start to develop some eye-to-hand coordination with this thing. It is valuable for people that are novices because it is not just immediately intuitive for everybody. When you're using it as a training or a teaching tool, rather than simply to correct misbehavior, you really need to work on your hand-eye coordination, and that's a helpful way. And then as far as turning the levels up and down, think of it as it's almost like the volume. If I'm watching a game or something like that and I'm listening to something and I'm paying attention, I don't have to have the volume up terribly high. But now if there's suddenly a bunch of kids playing over in the next room and they're yelling, I'm going to have to turn the volume up temporarily to be able to hear again. So learning to sit there as you're practicing with this, you're working on your hand-eye coordination, but also turn the dial up and down and get used to what it feels like to do that without putting your eyes on the transmitter. That is a skill that's going to help everybody across the board become a better trainer with this particular tool. All right. I think something else that we need to add, and this is, you briefly mentioned it at the beginning, but we're talking about stimulation levels across the board as far as the difference between manufacturers. And this is something that I've even seen it with the same you know, the same collars, we use Garmin as, well, we use Garmin as an example, and we definitely use Dogger as an example too, in that Garmin has, they have a Sport Pro, which is a 10 level collar. Well, the two on that Sport Pro doesn't match the two on a 550, which is a 21 level collar. Um, they do not, that number is not the same. So if you have a dog, if you're using a Sport Pro and you have a dog that's on a two, and then you move up to a 550, that dog's not going to necessarily respond the same on a two because it's not consistent. And so this is the same company and their stimulation levels are not the same. And I like to make sure that people understand that if you're using a DT systems collar, if you're using a sport dog collar, if you're using a dog tra collar and you've got a dog that works on a level, each product is different. So it's not even just that they're different from manufacturers. Dog is a good example because they have low to medium stimulation collars yeah. and they have low to high stimulation collars. And so a 35 on this dog tree unit is a different stimulation level than a 35 on a, on a low to medium stimulation collar. That level is going to be different. And so folks have got to, they need to understand the product that they're using. And if they change products, they need to, to the point of even relearning the dog on that particular, that particular collar. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The important point to understand. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, people want it to be, and I, I understand it. Like I said, I mean, the two is the two and that should be, that should be the case, but that's just not how it works. Yeah. And so, so that, that's just one of those things that, that going into it, people need to that not only do that. And this to me comes back to, I'm the guy that I want to feel that stimulation level and go, oh, okay, that's what that, I want to compare them on myself because I can't get the dog to say to me, it's a little sharper than, than what I'm used to. They will respond, but that's not really what I'm, you know, what I'm looking for. I'm looking mm -hmm. to understand 
I'm looking to understand the tool that I'm using and the part that people need to grasp is that that there is a consistency across the board on the stimulation level. So, and, and I think it's important for people to really understand when they're working with this tool, when they're watching a trainer use this tool, it should be subtle. So it's very scary. If we've got anybody listening that's brand new to this and you have these images of shock in your mind and you hear us talk about stimulation levels and you hear us going talking about going up, yes, at the top levels, when you get into the upper reaches of these collar, for most of us, I think it's going to feel pretty significant and pretty uncomfortable. There are occasional dogs that I've seen walk through. It's stunning to me, but I have seen that happen. Everybody's different. But what we're talking about as far as finding a stimulation level that we're training with, it's very subtle. I can motivate behavior with a feather. And if I tickle the feather across the back of your neck or under your nose, there's a slightly different response. One place is probably slightly more annoying than another. I'm not causing you pain, but I'm going to cause you to reach up and go, that felt weird. Stop that. I'm going to cause you to change behavior. And so I think that's so important for people to understand that they just don't get over, don't attach too much emotion to this topic of stimulation levels. Dig in and learn how to understand it. Play with your collar, learn how to understand it and how it can influence behavior through tactile cueing systems. I think that's a good, I think that's a good summary of what we're trying to, what we're trying to explain here. So we're going to, we're going to go with that. <laughs> All right. Thank you again, Robin. That's wonderful. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. For more information or to purchase Robin's online dog training programs, visit ecollars.com. This is Robin McFarland's eCollar Training. This video series takes a systematic approach to eCollar use from introduction to off-leash control. Three dogs of varying personalities were adopted from a shelter environment and trained daily over the course of three weeks. This series captures the real-time footage starting from day one of introducing the e-collar and progresses to the point of off-leash control and working around real-world distractions. Robin takes you step-by-step step through the process of laying a foundation, solving common problems, working through distractions, and graduating to off-leash freedom. The systematic approach and detailed instruction is designed specifically with a novice e-collar user in mind but even experienced trainers will find a gem or two to add to the training toolbox. Each of the dogs in this video series, Grace, Brandy, and Bonnie, started training within 72 hours of being adopted from a shelter environment. What you will see is real-time training sessions, not special editing or previously trained dogs. Watch dogs with different temperaments being worked through challenges toward the goal of off-leash control and a greatly improved relationship with their handler. Robin's e-collar instructional materials are clear, concise, and never sacrifice the physical or emotional well-being of the dog. With this training, your dog will be calmer, more controlled, and be able to experience the joy of off-leash freedom. If you've longed to be able to trust your dog off-leash, but don't have the confidence to start training with an e-collar, this video series is for you. Any dog owner that is interested in learning an easier way to communicate with their dog while gaining off-leash reliability will benefit from this DVD series. 
This five disc set will take you step by step through the process from starting the training and finding a level up through working around distractions and being ready to go off leash.